And so that's where the mental toughness comes in. It's being able to quickly bounce back and adjust um, and it being a reflection of the, of the process and not the person. In business, you want to consistently attract incredible people, grow at an accelerated rate, and create a unique competitive advantage. The goal, it isn't to just be the best, but is to be the favorite, the favorite in the eyes, the mind, and the heart of your customer. To stay competitive in today's world, you want to build a business where people want to come to work and where they have a chance to be great at doing what they love the most. And you accomplish that by leading through values. Because when you lead through values, people excel, profits increase, and your brand becomes more human. Now make sure you download your free guide at leadthroughvalues.com. I'm James Mayhew, your Chief Culture Officer, and you're listening to Lead Through Values. Well, welcome to another episode of the Lead Through Values podcast. I'm your host and Chief Culture Officer, James Mayhew, and today you're going to meet a really good friend of mine and colleague also, and her name is Holly Adams. Now, Holly and I, uh, we've gotten to know each other for a few years and have had some really deep conversations about workplace culture and core values and quite honestly, what it takes to lead people in this day and age. Now, today we'll be talking about what it means to have mental toughness because this is an area that she's an expert in and especially considering how challenging the past year plus has been. So before we begin, I do want to share a little secret with you about people today. All right. It's this people are exceptional. You are exceptional and gifted with magnificent talents, but don't miss this. The thing that makes you exceptional might be what frustrates someone else the most about you. So if you don't know what makes yourself special and you're in business and you have a team that's around you and you don't know what makes the people on your team special, there's an eventuality it's going to lead to some things that you don't want, which is poor communication, misunderstandings, maybe even conflict between people that, that can get a little uh, ugly at times. People won't feel valued and they don't feel appreciated when you don't understand what their gifts are. And even when you try to give them feedback, it can be really misguided. So what I'm trying to do is close that gap because that gap will impact your bottom line. And that's why I created Accelerate, which is a live virtual program to give you the tools and a solid foundation for learning and development and to accelerate your business growth and profitability. Now, the next session starts soon, and you can learn more about that at my website, jamesmayhew.com. And we get that part out of the way because now I want you to meet Holly. Holly, let's get you queued up. First of all, so good to have you here today. And like I said to you earlier, I, I've called you out on this a couple of times. You're that consummate learner. I've always enjoyed how deep and impactful our conversations are and the stories that you've been able to share about working alongside, whether it's executives or in, the, in, in companies. I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about you and kind of what lights your fire. Sure. I think it's really important to understand. I am a small town uh, girl from Wisconsin. And so I was the last place I thought I would end up. But I've been <laughs> here. I've been here for a long time. I love it and uh, don't plan on leaving. But um, I was in um, a human resources role um, in one industry or another, in one organization or another for a little over 20 years. And then about three years ago, I decided to go out on my own and I have my own uh, coaching and consulting uh, business. 
uh, love doing that. Love the people that I've been able to meet, um, people like you, James. So I feel very blessed uh, to have you on that path. Um, like you said, I, I love to learn, uh, love to be challenged. Um, I read a lot. And so to have people like you to be able to talk through uh, those things with is, is amazing. So thank you for having me today. So I think mental toughness is one of these things that is uber important. Like it's so huge right now because like the last year has been hard. And I know that you work with anywhere from, from young athletes and up on it, but could you kind of set the stage for us? Like when you talk mental toughness, what are you really talking about? How, how do you describe it? What does it look like? Yeah. And that's a great question. Um, and I think people think about it differently. Um, athletes think about it differently. Um, a CEO of a company thinks about it differently. Uh, to me, uh, mental toughness, resiliency, grit, um, anti-fragility is another term that gets thrown out there about it. It's just being able to um, understand yourself, how you process things, um, how you react to things, and then being able to manage that as it relates to performance. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of different elements that go into that. I think about it primarily in terms of um, discipline, accountability, and then a huge component is helping people understand the emotional impact of it and managing emotions. Um, yeah, so that's uh, you know that covers a lot. But from from a from an, an uh, from a human resources perspective, I feel like what happened a lot of times is that um, people had people needed guidance or needed um, a neutral third party to talk through people problems. Mm, right, for sure. They, yeah, they needed um, someone to talk through how to handle conflict, how to handle emotional conversations, and so that led ne very naturally from um, you know kind of the people part of of human resources into um, the individual part of mental toughness. Mm, yeah, you know we lead the way we've been led. We develop people the way that we have been developed often. When you lead the way you've been led, sometimes you don't know what worked and what didn't work. And so you you kind of fall into a pattern or the way that you are are coaching somebody or trying to develop them. Um, this is how you've seen it and experienced it. And that that's where you can kind of get off the track. Tell me what some of your experiences have been with that. You know, the first step is always real um, around self-awareness. So oh, a fun yeah. maybe example would be um, maybe we were coached that being yelled at was motivating, right? Yeah. <laughs> the coach thought that um, if Holly needed to run faster or make a basket or, um, get, uh, you know, hit the ball and she, if she wasn't doing well, she just needed to be yelled at louder, um, and more forcefully. Um, and you know, for some people, maybe that worked sure. maybe for Holly, maybe for James that doesn't work. So I think a huge part of it, exactly like what you said is we tend to lead or coach how we were. And so part of what I do is just, okay, coach, do you understand the impact that you're having? Um, and is the impact what you intended it to be? Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, asking questions, right? Just bringing about awareness because sometimes the answer is absolutely yes. Yeah, that's exactly what Holly needs and that's what I'm providing for her. Um, but then it's, are you understanding that what James needs and wants and is motivated by is different than Holly? Both on the same team, how can we manage that performance differently? Yeah. You know, I was really, I had a really tremendous opportunity to speak with Dan Gable because I had contracted with him to be a keynote speaker at an event a couple of years ago. And in prep for that, um, got to go to his home and meet him. And Dan was, uh, he's a gracious host. Like in, he's taken us um, into the basement and showing us where the wrestling room was. And then we were back up on the main floor. And, you know, this is like his, his trophy room. He's surrounded with all these accomplishments. And then we went outside into his, like his little cabin. And uh, it's this small little thing. That's where we actually did the, the interview and the promo videos. But what struck me about what something that Dan said was I had, he said it was harder to be a coach than it was the athlete. But he said the hard thing for him was, is he had to learn how to like what his guys needed. Okay. So some of them, to your point, they needed that really firm kick in the rear and they needed that shout and they needed that, you know, get in your face while others needed something a little bit more, call it fatherly or mentor, you know, where it was somewhat delivered softer, but, but what he said was so profound because he's like to get the best out of my guys, I had to understand exactly who they were. And I, I love the way you describe that. So, um, you know, when you're, when you're playing with, uh, uh, you know, playing when you're coaching with either leaders in a business or when you're coaching athletes, what are some of the things Holly for you that, um, stand out, like to help create that awareness. You, like you said, kind of like, how do you want this to go? Or you're kind of thinking with the end of the month, thinking with the end in mind, right? Yeah. You know, um, I have kind of at my disposal, a couple of different resources that I would use. Some, uh, leaders have been exposed to different assessments over the years. And so we pull those kind of back out. Um, I know we've talked about disc and strength finders and, um, colors and, you know, there are so many options out there. So I really try to understand where their, um, current self-awareness level is, um, before that, um, but there are, I feel like there are so many examples kind of in real life about um, how people are motivated differently and um, maybe checking in on the assumptions that they have about their team and about the individuals. Um, so going through, I guess if I have any kind of superpower, I hope it's asking good questions because I don't always know, you know, what... Um, I'm not trying to lead them down a path that I already know the, what the answer is. Yes. Um, I try to be curious with them and ask good questions to help them educate both of us on what, um, what you know, kind of peak performance looks like or what, where they want to go. That's what makes you good at what you do because you're not coming in with that concept of you already know right? The, your, the, the, the ability of, of, to pull it from somebody that's powerful. That's great. Yeah. So. And it just, I mean, it highlights hopefully like, yeah, I don't, I don't have the answers here, but we're going to find them. <laughs> we know yeah. they exist, but we're, we're going to get there. So yeah. it's been super fun because I think that, um, like we've talked about before, you know, how people show up at work is often how they show up at home. So sometimes, Ooh 
sometimes um, we can practice at home having that awareness and those conversations um, and then do the same thing at work or vice versa. Um, you know, sometimes our coworkers know us really well um, and maybe can help explain uh, some of the dynamics at home or at work and vice versa. So it's interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if I want to kind of ask you a question, like if you think about um, competitive advantage, right? Um, there's a there's a book actually that that I found just like kind of like the little uh, conversation book. I used to use it as a graduation gift called Secrets of the World Class, written by a gentleman named Steve Siebold or Seibold. Um, maybe I've shared this with you and during one of our coffees. I, I don't remember, but Steve was this. Um, he, he played tennis and he was an amateur but he was quite good. And yet him at his very best, he couldn't crack the top 500 ranking in the United States. Okay. So I'm not sure how many years ago this was, but it must be a little while ago. And he became obsessed with why do some people and others don't. And that led him to pursue this book called secrets of the world class. Like what is your secret? How is it that you got there? And he wasn't just interviewing athletes. He was interviewing, oh, famous people, um, whether it be celebrities or, you know, uh, CEOs of major companies, things like that. And asking them because he said that was my obsession. It's like, why? What was different? How does mental toughness figure into like that separation, that competitive advantage, do you think? Well, what I've seen um, people, I guess what I've witnessed is that the people that crack that are willing to fail. They're willing Ooh. to try new things, experiment. Um, I think, I, you know, one of the most interesting things is back to the, you know, do I have it figured out and I just need to get people there? It's absolutely not. And it's the same for performance, especially with athletes. Are there some formulas that work and um, are there, you know, strength training coaches and coaches that would say, well, this is the formula. This is the defense. This is the, you know, this is what, what, what works. Um, that might be true, but the ones that are phenomenal are the ones that keep experimenting. You know, they get to that point um, they're satisfied, but not, they're not where they want to be just yet. You know, they reach that and then they're willing to try something new and being willing to try something new often means, um, taking a risk on maybe it not working. And so that's where the mental toughness comes in. It's being able to quickly bounce back and adjust, um, and it being a reflection of the, of the process and not the person. You said something that's so profound right there at the beginning, the way you started that was like, people are afraid to try or fail, right? People are afraid to fail. So if you're afraid to fail, um, I mean, obviously that's going to prohibit you from experimenting and trying because, so what are some of those fears? I mean, I think of it like, okay, I'm going to fail. So I might be embarrassed or I, I'm going to feel vulnerable or I'm going to do something that, uh, you know, I don't like to fail, uh, Am I right? I mean, is that what some of the, the reasons are that hold people back? I mean, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the higher you go in terms of a hierarchy in, in, the, in an organization, the, um, the, you know, the, the higher level of fear. I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to have this figured out. I am supposed to be able to figure out how to increase sales and bring, you know, new products to market. And, um, 
I, and I feel like that's a great um, segment to coaching because a lot of times those people don't have a resource like a James or a Holly to bounce ideas off of, you know, maybe their leadership team is fantastic, but no one wants to talk about um, trying something new or failing or um, there's an imposter syndrome. Hey, I've made it this far. Should I be doing what I'm doing? Am I, am I, um, do I have the credentials to be doing what I'm doing? Um, if they only I've been know. there, like I'm yeah. sitting here raising my hand going, Oh, I felt all of those. Right. Yeah. I think, I think anybody has felt those and it's just your ability to, to like, I think the word that came to mind was humility, mm-hmm. you know? So, so I'm going to suggest something here that with a lack of humility would actually explain that's, that's a mental weakness, actually, I feel like if you don't have humility. So like, here's one of the things that, you know, working with young leaders or up and coming leaders, or even leaders that, that are just inexperienced, or maybe they have some insecurity. Uh, wow. Like you, you nailed it because what I've seen is some people are afraid to ask for help. They're afraid to admit, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And so what they do is they push forward because that was how they were led, you know, or, or told, and as a result, they're trying to do stuff in isolation in that vacuum. And what a, what a, you can really get in a bad spot there. And I'm speaking from experience because I've done that very thing, which is, I think I'm supposed to have the answers. So I'm going to make this decision. Or I'm going to push forward this way. And I was afraid to go basically admit, I don't know. Cause I thought, I thought I, I, well, I got the title. I'm supposed to know everybody's looking at me and the, the, the learning part for me, the development was having somebody speak into me and go, why didn't you ask for help? You need to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. In fact, that's what this whole thing is about. It really can stifle, not just growth, but it can kill, like it can, it can kind of demoralize a team culture. You know, a leader that lacks humility isn't a relatable leader. No, no. And people sense that they're great at sensing that. You know, they're great at picking up on that gut feeling about, yeah, that person's not like me. That person Mm -hmm. can't relate to what my job is or that what my contribution is. So, yeah, they throw up walls because there's no there's no reason to have that conversation with that person. Kind of like your core um, group of people that you can relate. I guess I call it my panel. Kind of like an yeah. Yeah. I call it inner circle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's huge. And, and so here's the thing, if you were listening to this and you don't have an inner circle that you can trust, like an inner circle to me, I'll describe it from my side of it, how I view it is it's people that'll be truthful and honest with you. Like they have your best interest, but they don't care so much about you that they're trying to protect you from truth. Like they, that's where things go poorly. So my inner circle, uh, of people that I I'm thinking of right now will call my BS on me. Um, sometimes I don't have to ask. They'll just, you know, they'll do it. Other times I've learned to ask and say, Hey, here's what I'm struggling with. What am I doing? You know? Um, so is, is that what you mean by a panel for for you and how do you see it any differently or how, how do you look at what, who you want to be on your panel, your board of directors? Yes. Oh, those are, those are great. Um, um, and interchangeable um, terms, but I think it, as it relates to mental toughness, that's a great group of people to say, hey, do I just need to um, push through this or do I really need to reconsider? Um, and like you said, a lot of times they'll be able to see things um, be- 
because they know that about us, like you're just whining right now, Holly, just, you know, (laughs) just get through it versus, um, you know, this is something I, I really think you need to, um, think about or reconsider. Um, and maybe you see that with your, with your clients as well. Like, am I stuck in this role? Do I just need to, you know, grit it out or, um, as it relates to, you know, values and contributions, is this something I need to let go of? Um, yeah, it's a great it segue anymore. Yeah. Well, Sometimes that's, and that's one can the, see that other than, well, you know, we don't have that view. Oh, a hundred percent. And so they, they may be telling you something ahead of time that you're not seeing, obviously it was what you were just saying. And, and they're the, the ones that might suggest to you, have you ever considered making a change? Right? Yeah. 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 I, my, my panel or my um, inner circle, I remember, especially when I first was considering um, going out on my own, I had someone ask me kind of straight up, like, well, what are you afraid of? You know, cause as I was kind of stewing and thinking about here are the pros and cons and, and, and he just straight out said, well, what are you afraid of? I'm like, well, I don't really know. I guess if failing, he's like, well, what does, what does failure mean? I don't know. <laughs> you know, so there were fantastic questions about super simple, but um, that clarity around getting out of my head and having someone else just very respectfully very genuinely challenging kind of what, what was going on in my head. Yeah. It's, it's so vital to have people like that, isn't it, man? Because, oh gosh, like, again, if you're, if you're just trying to, I don't know if sometimes I think it's a pride thing, but, and I think that's at the, like at the top of why these things happen. So fear to me is a level below that fear is, is fueled by pride. And so if you're pride, if you're too proudful or too call it arrogant, to admit that you are underwater, over your head, whatever the cliche is, right? And you don't seek that help or that counsel of others. You will always be limited and um, and held back and you'll hold people back around you. Holly, I kind of want to talk with you and just open it up about what's the difference between quitting and giving up. Quitting is kind of looked at as a negative, isn't it? But is it? Uh, I don't think so. Um, one of the, um, one of my favorites recently, um, is a book by the, um, by the title of emotional agility by Susan David. And in the, in it, she talks about, um, gritting or quitting. And Mm. I think that question, um, just paraphrasing your question, when do I quit? Um, and when do I grit through it? And, the distinction that she would make is, is it no, is it um, still serving you? Meaning, are you still learning? Are you still getting um, value from the experience, even if it's something that you're not comfortable with? So there's a difference between um, maybe punishment or going in every day consistently kind of getting knocked down um, and really not adding any value and not getting any value. Um, That's a situation where it's probably best to um, say that everything, you know, you've done your best, the organization's done its best to serve and probably time to move on. Um, But if it's just a, um, a, a period to grit through, um, then don't quit, right? Then it's something that I'm still learning. Yes, it's just there's it's uncomfortable 
to do this, but I am still getting um, value from it. I'm still providing value. Um, one of the things that, and I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have to have a book list right at, at the end of this necessarily, but another, oh, that'd be okay. <laughs> another author of, of mine that's a favorite is Rich Devinney, and he has a book out called The Attributes, and he talks about the difference between optimal performance and peak performance. And again, that Ooh, just really okay. helped me clarify kind of that grit or quit because he talks about. Um, you know, especially from an athlete's perspective, there are certain situations we want our peak performance to be that, um, that Super Bowl, you know, that Super Bowl performance, that Masters tournament performance, you know, we want that kind of peak performance. But for most of us every day, we just want optimal performance. What does optimal performance look like for James to get through this Friday, to get through this month of May, to get through this pandemic, right? And so to have that clarity around, I'm not trying to be the Super Bowl quarterback. I'm not trying, that's not my, that's not my, um, my purpose or my goal. I'm trying to be the best, you know, kind of fill in the blank. And so to help clients um, and our colleagues answer that question offers a, a really awesome level of clarity that m- most of us need. You said a really key phrase in there is get through it. What does it take to get through it? And that it, it doesn't have to be that way. And that's the thing that, that I think that I learned later in life then I wish I would have learned it sooner, right? It doesn't have to be, it isn't just about surviving it. And and I think that that's where this resiliency, this grit, this toughness can be um, potentially misunderstood, you know, in your own life and how you're applying it. Um, when I was a boy, <laughs> I had two sisters growing up. Okay. One was a, a sax player and one was a clarinet player. All right. And I remember getting into fifth grade and it was intro to band. And um, my mom really wanted me to play the saxophone. I don't know why I, we got to tra- you know, try all these different instruments and we had a saxophone at home. So, okay. So in fifth grade, uh, in sixth grade, I really didn't like band. I didn't like any part of it, but I was kind of sticking with it partly because well, I was afraid of my mom, <laughs> right? <laughs> that fear thing again, right? <laughs> right, right. And, 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 you know, dad, dad was supportive no matter what. He was, he was a very much more laid back, but mom was the valedictorian of her class. She had really high expectations for us kids. Um, and she could use guilt pretty good to motivate. I, I'll tell you straight up. So getting into, I think it was seventh grade. Um, so I'm still in band and I've got these eighth grade boys <laughs> between me. I'm actually friends with these guys now, but then they were these bullies to me. They were beating me up all the time. I'm not kidding you. Like when the band director wasn't looking, they're over there punching me and pinching me. I, so I stopped coming to band. Right. And so then mom gets the call. He quit band or he's not coming to band. What do we need to do? He's just not showing up for his lessons. You know, he wasn't at, at the thing today. And here's the thing I needed to quit. And it was an okay thing to quit. I wasn't passionate about it, but my mom, the way she positioned it for me was, she was like, if you quit this, you'll quit everything. And I actually don't agree with that. I don't agree with that at all. I haven't quit a lot of things like this, like what I'm doing right now has been the hardest thing I've ever done, you know, to build a business from scratch to, and yes, I've wanted to quit, but no way am I going to quit. And so I, I think there's permission around being able to quit 
I think it's healthy at times, right? People quit smoking or they quit some other habit or they change their diet because the doctor tells them to be for their health reasons. We quit bad relationships, whether that's personal or professional. We quit jobs because we're stuck and there's, there's more that we want to give, but we can't. But giving up, now that's a different story. I, and, if, and if we're giving up because of fear or some sort of other reason, um, you know, whether it's doubt, whatever, I, that to me is how I differentiate the two. Yeah. And back to um, your story there. Um, I'm glad your mom was maybe wrong just once that one time, right? That that was uh, not accurate, but um, there is research that shows we can be gritty in one part of our life, but not the other. So mm. I do take some um, solace in that, that, okay, just because I, um, I quit this or that's not serving me anymore and I let it go, that doesn't mean that that's how I will treat everything in life, especially um, when it gets hard, right? When it, when it gets difficult. I will say though, as a parent, that is something that you worry about for your child though. Absolutely. Will this, is this the first of of many? Is this a trend? Is this a personality trait that I need to worry about in in seventh and eighth grade? So yeah. 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 Some grace to mom there. (laughs) Well, well, you know, and that, and that's the thing is um, like you and I have both had career changes in our lives, right? Um, I walked away from something that, uh, at one point I really, truly believed was a dream job. I walked away from, um, I walked away from that. And here's the thing, Holly, in looking back, I didn't realize at, at how unhappy I had been until it really like it boiled up. And I, I've not talked about it a whole lot, but I will just say this. I got to a level of stress that I, it was impacting my physical health, it was impacting my sleep, my emotional health, my relational health, all of these things, because I was coming in to work. It was hard to turn the, the, the steering wheel to pull into the driveway. I remember how difficult it felt and I, and I mean, this was truly like a weight on you to open the door, to put your foot out. I remember almost like in, in a movie setting, it was like frame by frame. And it, when my foot hit the, when it, my foot hit the pavement, it was like thud. And so then I was walking in and I was putting on the game face and here I am, I'm ready to go. This is great. But inside I was so conflicted that um, at some point I knew, I knew I was going to need to leave. Uh, and I was wrestling and struggling with that on so many different levels, um, fear of, you know, loss of income. What are you going to do? Are you, know, imposter syndrome starts to then come up. Um, so what advice might you give somebody from your perspective about that, that, that might be dealing and struggling with something like that? Or maybe what, maybe what was something that you told yourself when you made some hard decisions like that? Well, it's understanding discipline. What what just takes discipline, right? What do you have to do to reach your goals that even when you don't want to, you still do? So what part of our professional lives and personal lives need a decent dose of discipline in that? Um, and related to that professionally, I think one of the things I started to recognize is this Sunday night, Monday morning dread. <laughs> Yes. Um, I it's know, real. <laughs> yeah, it is real. And, but I also think it's a really important indicator. Um, and, and one of the things I do in my coaching practice is like, let's just start collecting some data, right? It can be 
how do you feel every Sunday night as you're getting ready for, for your work week? You know, um, again, I don't know that there's a number that, okay, if this, that, that means that, but okay, James, if every Sunday night for seven months in a row, in a row, you know, you have a a dread level (laughs) of an eight, nine or 10. I mean, those are kind of some really important questions to ask, you know, there are part, there are seasons of our life that are just hard, right? Like there are just things that we need to grit through. We need the discipline. Um, but those types of, um, experiences that we have are really insightful when we think about, like you said, I, I could have, maybe I saw this coming, right. I could have seen this coming. I didn't realize how I got there. Um, and I don't want to be too nerdy about collecting data, but there are certain questions, right. That we can check in with ourselves on, to just see, okay, yep, here it is again. Here it is again. Um, and then hopefully like we are now, I don't have that at all anymore mm-hmm. at right. all. Like I am, I get to start over. Um, I'm excited. My energy level. Um, so call it what you will. Maybe, maybe dread level is probably not the right word, but what's your energy level like? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what, how do you feel going into this week? Yeah. That's so good. Now, before we move off of that subject and kind of wind down here, I know that, that, um, you know, you and I have to be very careful about um, protecting confidentiality. I mean, that's huge for us when we're working with our clients. Right. But at the same time, we'll talk about a situation and, and I know where I was going with this is like the CEO that's having Sunday night and Monday morning dread. Yes. How does that impact an organization? I think it does. And I think probably both you and I, if we recognize that in that person, we can help because we've been there, right? We understand what that feels like and what that looks like. And we also understand what game face looks like. We understand what, um, you know, what they do to prepare for the week and the energy level that it takes to put on that game face. Yeah. And I also think, we, we've probably also been on the receiving end of some of those, um, maybe some of those game face CEOs where we can say, I can tell you as an employee, as part of your leadership team, um, this is what it shows up as, and this is how it feels. Um, you know, fill in the blank. Again, when we're in those situations, I feel like we have, um, we have the skill set probably to have those conversations or to engage in those. Um, but it's really, again, kind of bringing it back to self-awareness. I know you're doing the best that you can right now to put on that game face and to show up for your team the way that you want to. And my guess is that you're probably doing a really good job at it, but maybe not as good of a job as you think you are. Do you, do you buy this that a CEO can never have a bad day? And what I mean by that is like outwardly, and it it doesn't even have to be the chief executive officer. It can be like the leader of a store, the leader of the the division, that you know whatever it is, various levels. Yeah, you you're just you're not supposed to have a bad day, right? And yet we're human, so you have the bad day, but the and that's where it takes so much energy to bring that. Um, you know, maybe there's a medical diagnosis going on. Maybe there's a strained relationship between, you know, a father and a son or, or whatever it could be. 
it could be something like a pet that's sick or that had to be put down. Like all of those things can really make a bad day for, for anybody in leadership. Maybe there's some financial stress at home. Who knows? But the, this is where mental toughness to me and mental health kind of like cross over a little bit. It feels like because you got to put on the game face and your employees are counting on you. And yet it can feel hopeless. It can feel like you're caught in a pit. There's no way out. It's despair. And that scares me. And if nothing else over the last year and a half, it's really accentuated that. And I think that's where the leader has an, an opportunity to be vulnerable with the team. Um, and it will, mm, the response to that will be probably the credibility that they've built up before that, that bad day. Um, do I think that there are higher expectations for those in leadership? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Do I think that they can never have a bad day? Absolutely not. Um, it's just kind of what they've put in that um, in that account before they've had it that will indicate kind of the responses after. Because what if they have a phenomenal team and they and those people can help that person? Hey, yeah. I understand what's going on, or maybe I don't even understand what's going on, but I respect that today you're not at 100%. So let me help you or let me do this. Or um, it's those relationships built up before that bad day happens. Yeah. There's a book. I'll drop a book now. Okay. Let's say you've inspired this. Um, uh, there's a book written by uh, Martha Finney. And Martha Finney, the title of this book is called The Truth About Getting the Best Out of People. And it's the edition that I have, and I, I don't know if she's updated it since then, is there's 69 truths, okay? The and they're, each one is like two or three pages long, but it's a collection of her being a consultant and going in and interviewing and working with teams over you know a couple of decades. One of the, the truths in that book is, um, and I thought this was kind of profound, um, is that your employees care about your health and your well-being, especially if you're, if you're a liked manager or leader or business owner, your employees care. And they, they feel like a sense of responsibility back to you. Like, cause you've been so good to them. Well, they, they, you know, want to support you if you're going through something. And I love the way it was framed because um, I think that's an easy thing to look past. And it's like, Nope, I got to bring in, I got to be super man or super woman every day with this group. And yet the group, as you've said earlier in this, you know, in this conversation is, People are savvy. They'll pick it up and they, they know when you're struggling Yeah, because like we're humans and we can't mask it always. Well, and I think you said it earlier too. You're not relatable if you're perfect. If, oh, no. If you have everything or an, an outward appearance, it looks like you're perfect. Um, you and I don't have anything to talk about because I got a whole lot of things <laughs> <laughs> that don't go, you know, that haven't gone the way that I planned in life. And so that's what we'll um, connect on. Um, our imperfections. Yeah. 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 Well, Holly, as we're kind of winding down, first of all, thanks. Like, it's just fun to talk with you about stuff. And this felt like one of our coffees. It really did. Um, so that's, that's great. I would love for you to be able to share with our, you know, anybody who's listening to this, uh, how can people get in touch with you? 
maybe just touch on again, what you do as a recap and um, I'll make sure we put any links or contact information into the show notes too, but, but take it away. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, James. Um, Probably the easiest way is my website, uh, hollyadamsconsulting.com. On there, we'll have links to social media platforms. Um, I would love to connect. Loved and engaged audience. Um, I do HR work, um, HR project work, executive coaching, um, and mental toughness coaching. So I'd love to hear from, from anyone. That's fantastic. Yeah, those are things that um, they're in demand. Uh, and, and there's certainly an awareness about it. So, hey, thanks again for being part of this. Can't wait for this episode to drop for people to hear. So have a good day. Thanks, you. All right. See y'all later. Bye.